Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. And I greet you with Christ's is risen for the last time, at least for this year. Hopefully I can greet you with that for many years to come for both of us while we're on this earth to celebrate many more Paschas, many more feasts of the resurrection. But this is the final week of the resurrection. We're going to go into the 40th day of it, which will end this Thursday with the great glorious feast of Ascension Thursday, Ascension of our Lord. 40 days after his resurrection, he ascends to heaven and our greeting will change then for at least a couple of days from Christ is risen to Christ is ascended. And the response is up, up, and away. No, just kidding. It's Christ is ascended and you respond in glory. So we'll do that for a few days. And then we're going to be, well, all, not quite, but getting close to what in the Latin Rite Church would be known as ordinary time. Ours in the Byzantine Church is known as the Sundays after Pentecost. So we'll be coming up to Pentecost pretty soon. In fact, it'll be in two Sundays from now. And after that, we come into what's called ordinary time. In the Latin rite, for us, it's the Sundays after Pentecost or the days after Pentecost. So we sort of mark them or count them. But it's basically ordinary time, although nothing is ever ordinary in the church, in the liturgical life of the church and the scriptures and so on. Although we could say it's ordinary, and therefore, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary, but at the same time, being ordinary. Because what is ordinary is extraordinary, meaning that it's about God. That's the ordinary order of things. What is holy, where the incarnation has touched this life, where heaven has touched earth. That's the ordinary. And we call that extraordinary. We st I guess we could, but it's only extraordinary in relation to the way we often live on this earth as though God had not touched it, as though he had not ascended into glory and taken our human nature with him. So the extraordinary is the ordinary. The ordinary is the extraordinary when it comes to Jesus Christ, the plan of salvation, the incarnation, the life of the church. It's a very rich week this week in the Byzantine calendar. We've got Simon the Zealot, and then on Tuesday, we've got Cyril and Methodius, 
apostles to the Slavic people. In other words, the two brothers that brought Christianity to my ancestors, the ancestors of my particular church, the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church, and to several other Byzantine Catholic churches. Oh, we've got St. Pacomius, the great monastic Isidore. We've got, of course, then the Ascension of our Lord on Holy Thursday. In the Eastern churches, we do not transfer that feast to Sunday. We keep it on that 40th day, which is Thursday. And we do have a post-festive of it. In other words, several days afterwards, we're still celebrating. We're still saying Christ is ascended, and the answer is in glory. Now, ever since the Incarnation, going, let's go back to Christmas. All the way back to Christmas, I don't mean to remind you of cold, snowy, icy weather, now that we're in this beautiful month of May. However, let's think back there for just a moment. And think back to those days, those radio programs, when I spoke to you about the continuous cycle, the continuous, in a sense, movement of God's condescension, his descending, descending to earth, descending into hell after he died on the cross and rising up through Hades, through the tomb, onto earth, and then now ascending this week into heaven. You see, it's one big swoop, kind of a swoop action, down, 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 up, 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 returning to where he came, but he never really left it. We say that he became man while still remaining God. He came to earth while still remaining in heaven. And I want you to think back to that because I said at that time that the incarnation, the birth of Christ, you know, his conception, the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, was the beginning of that lowering, that condescension, therefore the beginning of our ascension, of our rising up, because God is taking on our nature, which was already raising it up, already restoring it to its original dignity and even beyond in the person of Christ. But it goes even further because Jesus Christ, when he does ascend into glory, he takes his human nature with him. Remember a few weeks ago when he appeared to Thomas and the apostles in the upper room, he was in that same body with the same wounds that they saw when he was on the cross. That body was put in the tomb, and the spirit of that body went into Hades, did battle with the devil, broke the power of Hades, released the prisoners held captive there so they can go to heaven, and then reunited itself with that body, but with that same body very same body, because it even had the wounds in it, which is what convinced Thomas to move from doubt to faith. Well, Jesus Christ did not shed that body when he ascended into heaven. We're going to read about this in the Acts of the Apostles and also in the last part of the Gospel of St. Luke. He did not shed that body. He didn't all of a sudden become invisible. It talks about how the apostles witnessed Jesus Christ rising up to heaven, body and soul. And they were even a bit sad, but he said, don't worry, I'll be with you forever. I have to go to heaven so I can send then the paraclete. In other words, the Holy Spirit upon them. They already had been imbued with the Holy Spirit in part when Christ breathed on them in the upper room after his resurrection, when he appeared to them. But now they would have that infusion of the Holy Spirit, that powerful infusion that would make the room that they were sitting in seem like an earthquake. And and a, and a loud wind, a strong wind, and their fiery tongues came down on them. Oh, it was a dramatic, dramatic event. So that would be the dramatic infusion of the Holy Spirit into them, which we experience when we are baptized and receive the sacrament of confirmation. In the Eastern churches, we receive the, in most Eastern churches, we receive the sacrament of confirmation the same time that we receive baptism, and along with that, Eucharist. So the first three sacraments initiate us into the church and the life of the Trinity. 
baptism, then chrismation, we're sealed in the life of God, the Trinity, and the Eucharist brings that to a certain perfection. So the first three sacraments in Eastern churches are done usually together. Not in all Eastern churches, but in most of them. In the Latin Rite, they separate them out by a period of years for, again, their own reasons. The Eastern churches and the Western church, the two lungs of the church, develop their own sacramentology. Very similar, of course, same basic belief, but a little bit different approaches, different emphasis, both being valid, of course, and ancient and venerable. So our Lord is going to rise up into heaven and the key thing here is that he takes our human body with him. And in fact, we say in the liturgical prayers, the heavens prepared his throne and the clouds were his ladder. The angels marvel at the sight of a human being more exalted than themselves. Now, how could that be? In other prayers, it talks about the angels watching this, this figure uh, rise up says, you have renewed in yourself, O Lord, the human nature which had fallen in Adam into the very depths of the earth. And this day you have raised far above the principalities and powers of heaven. Imagine, the principalities and powers of heaven are like the angels, those beings in heaven, those superior spiritual beings. And Jesus Christ is rising up all the way from heaven after having risen from the tomb and risen from Hades before that. He rises up, and he's like he's passing them by. He's rising higher than them, and they're wondering what is going on. But it says, having so loved human nature, you granted that it may be enthroned with you. You so love human nature, you granted that it may be enthroned with you. In your compassion, you united it with yourself. In union with it, you have suffered, and by your passion, you have glorified it. O God, beyond all suffering, now the bodiless powers are saying, who is this man clothed in majesty? He is not only a man, but is indeed the God-man, for he possesses the appearance of both. And the angels arrayed in splendid garments and circled the apostles, saying, as Jesus the God-man is separated from you in his divine humanity, he shall come again to judge both the living and the dead. And he grants to all the faithful forgiveness of sins and great mercy." Jesus Christ had to go to heaven in order to send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And in doing so, that completes the plan of salvation. In other words, nothing other than that is really going to happen of any great significance in terms of the revelation, the, the establishment of God, of heaven on earth. The only other thing that would occur would be the apostles would take the message of all this to every part of the world. And eventually, they would write it down into what we know as the Bible. So after the sending of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the apostles, there was no more revelation on earth, no more revelation from heaven. There was, of course, the continued action of the Holy Spirit in the church, helping the church to understand and articulate this plan of salvation, which was often misunderstood, misrepresented by heresies and later on by secular ideologies like we labor under today, like socialism, communism, secularism, and so on. Yes, the Holy Spirit was active then, but there was no other revelation as such to speak of. The truth was laid out there by Christ, inspired in his apostles through the Holy Spirit. They spoke it throughout the world. It was written down, and that's it. Now we are to live it. And live it we are, especially through the liturgy of the church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. 
in order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Lloyd. We live in strange times, full of contradictions, many of which we create and then force upon ourselves. An example of that is how we view the natural world. Everywhere you turn, throughout the media, the arts, even merchandise, we live in an age that professes great love and sympathy for the natural world, yet most people know little to nothing about the one natural environment they are most intimately acquainted with, that is themselves, their own body. While most people that you will meet would be very conscientious, even worry about what sort of carbon footprint would be involved in driving to the store, they might seek out and only buy food that is labeled organic and chemical free. And yet day after day, without giving it a thought, they douse their own bodies with chemicals like birth control pills, synthetic hormones, which trick the body into thinking it's pregnant day after day and month after month when it is not. Even more contradictory, there are individuals who believe that their very bodies, the gender they were born with, is somehow a mistake that must be fought against and even mutilated by surgical means. What is going on here? If we as people, individuals, groups, and even whole cultures want to more thoroughly embrace and be part of the natural world, we must start with embracing and understanding our closest and most intimate of natural worlds, ourselves. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. And again, I say to you during this week in which we are going to celebrate the ascension of our Lord, Christ is ascended. The response is in glory. Now notice I use the word is, not has. Christ is ascended. Very important. In the liturgical prayers of the church during the great feast days, what happens is the church will pray using the present tense. 
Yes, it will refer to what is in the past, but it does so as though it were still happening now, present tense. So we'll say, today Christ ascends in glory, or Christ is ascended in glory. This is very, very important because this language says that these events happened once and for all and are happening ongoing through all time. And the life of the church, and this is what is so important, so gather your young people around, especially those who are in college, many of whom are probably getting their faith shattered and and shaken right now. Gather them around and let them hear this, that the church, and only in the church, can we step into a for real timelessness. You would like to see that on science fiction shows like Star Trek or Star Wars or something. They always have this sort of timelessness that goes on. A lot of movies are made about that. But there's a real timelessness that occurs only through the prayer, the liturgy of the church, especially its sacraments. We step into baptism. We step into Christ's baptism. When we step into the Eucharist, we are stepping into that one and first Eucharist that happened on that Thursday before Christ's death on the cross. Whatever it is we're stepping into sacramentally, we're doing so in a way that puts us into a timelessness, that this event that we're stepping into is ongoing. It has no past, present, and future. Although we can speak of it in one sense, in a chronological sense, as being in the past. Yes, Jesus and the time of the apostles was 2,000 years ago. We can speak that way. But the events themselves are timeless. They're in what we call chronos time, you know, the mysteries and the events. Because the events basically are mysteries, The death of Christ on the cross as resurrection is a mystery, and we enter into that mystery largely through the sacrifice of the Mass, or liturgy, where we have the commemoration, the entry into the death and resurrection of our Lord. And so the ascension, which we say is happening today, and we enter into it as though it's happening today, the ascension is telling us that our nature, our human nature, is being placed on the very throne of God, above the angels. Can you imagine that? When we speak of the Virgin Mary as more honorable than the cherubim, more glorious than the seraphim, this is the very standard prayer in the liturgy of the Byzantine church that we say. And we say that she is actually above the angels. Can you imagine that? And why is she? Well, certainly her purity or innocence, but also because she was a human being that had that kind of purity. And this was God's plan all along, to create a creature on earth that would be in his image and likeness, and that would make present on earth him, God, through our very nature, that we alone would reflect and be incorporated into, make present, point to God himself through not only his creation, but through us as human beings. We alone have a unique way to do that. So here we have this tremendous love of God who's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. He's not going to let his plan be foiled. It started out gloriously in the Garden of Eden, which was a prefigurement for heaven. It got foiled by the devil and the sin of man, man cooperating with the devil's lie. But God just didn't leave it go with that. He could have. He said, oh, well, you guys blew it. You're done. That's it. Plan's over. It didn't work. No, he resolved that I will complete my plan. I am God, and it will happen the way that I have deemed. And so, 
He started about his plan to create a new Adam, a new Eve, which of course would be Christ and the Virgin Mary. And then it comes to its character in our day and age in the church, Christ being the mystical bridegroom and we the church, his bride. So he would redeem us through becoming the new Adam and having the new Eve, his Virgin Mary, and then eventually through the church. And his plan would be accomplished. What was his plan? His plan was this glorious intention, this glorious design and destiny for the human person, whom he loved so much that he made in his own image and likeness. And when that human creature fell, he didn't let it go at that. He would come down, he would swoop down. I call that like the Superman factor. He would swoop down to earth, become one of us, just like Superman did. That's why Superman, that comic, is the most enduring superhero of all time. He's basically the archetype of all the other superheroes that we have now. Because Superman and that whole action was basically the type of the archetype Christ. And ironically, it was developed by two boys who were Jewish. And yet somehow they knew that that was the story. There is no other story. There's only different ways to tell it. The story of God swooping down, becoming us, and raising us up, and not stopping, as we say in our prayers and liturgy. He would not stop until he brought us to heaven with him. Now, when you think about that, just pause for a moment. And this is why it's so important to celebrate these services and these feast days. Because thinking of that, I can't but leave us awestruck. I mean, really contemplate it. It can't help but leave us awestruck as to the awesome, awesome love of God. He probably should have just left us alone, punished us, and that was it. You're done. We blew it. That what he had planned, he would make sure that what he had planned for us would be fulfilled. By God, pun intended, he was going to make sure that plan was fulfilled. And he did, because he had to do it himself. But he did it in cooperation with, and that's the important thing, in cooperation with the very creature, the human nature, that offended him, that blew it. Can you imagine that? It's like dancing with your enemy. He would choose the very vehicle through which sin came into the world. He would choose that vehicle to cooperate with him in the redemption of the very thing that brought sin into the world. I mean, really, just try to meditate on that. Think of the awesomeness of that, the awesome love. That's why in the epistle of St. John in the Bible, it just says very plainly that God is love. God is love. That was the theme of Pope Benedict, remember, some years ago when he came to visit America. A lot of people thought he was coming to chastise us, wag his finger at us. That was all the media hype. But what did he do? He came here with a simple message of God is love. It was like a big loving when he came. I remember the incredible, incredibly beautiful, respectful reception he got on the lawn there in the White House by President George Bush at the time with the army choirs and bands and soloists. And it was really, really respectful. But that was his message. God is love. In fact, he put that into a encyclical. God is love by Pope Benedict XVI. So this is incredible. It's a mystery beyond our ability to understand. And this is why when we pray, especially in the Eastern churches, we use negatives to affirm a positive. We say God is incomprehensible, ineffable, incomprehensible, uncontainable, infinite, 
Notice all those prefixes of in or un. They're negations. It means that something, he is not this. He is not containable. He is not finite. He can't be totally comprehended. He's always beyond us. So we know God by what we don't know. It's like knowing by unknowing. It's a mystery and a very, very strong point in Eastern mystical theology to come to know God by unknowing. We also know him by what he's revealed. We know him in the positive too, but we also know him as called a negative or epiphatic theology. We come to know him by what we do not know. So how does this affect our lives? It affects our lives by realizing, first of all, the value of the human person and how to treat every human person. It tells us what our destiny is and to be prepared for that. It helps us to fall in love with so great a God. It helps us to see everything in life in this sacramental way, a sacramental worldview, because God has entered into it. Again, we think back to Christmas. He has entered into it, redeemed it, and raised it up, left nothing undone until he brought us to heaven. And all the while, he still remained God. He still remained in the Trinity, in heaven. What an incredible mystery. Who could possibly stay away from church and all this great stuff, this spirituality, this theology? It's the blueprint for life, for happiness in life. So enter into the mystery of the ascension and ponder the magnificence, the love of God that would do such a thing as to condescend redeem us and raise us up to heaven with him. I want to thank you for listening. Christ is ascended in glory. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. News from around the world as it happens. Religious liberty, immigration, prayer, plus daily reports from the White House, Capitol Hill, and Rome. Get the Catholic News perspective on the things that impact your life on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.